All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of But It Is Rocket Science. I'm Henna. I'm Anna. And today we have an awesome episode in store for you. We'll be chatting with a very special guest, uh, Adrian, who is a space anthropologist. They are getting a PhD at the University of College London, where they're specifically studying the ethnography of the ISS. We are so excited to have you on our show today, Adrian. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So we usually start off the show just doing a little chit-chat. Um, Anna, how are you doing today? Oh my god, living the dream. I was telling <laughs> them that I just woke up 30 minutes ago, which was not intentional. Uh, it is Sunday morning, so I'm sorry. I may, throughout this episode, gain more consciousness over my situation. <laughs> but I'm good. I'm trying to think if I have anything exciting to talk about. Um, All right, so I was on Twitter yesterday, just like aimlessly scrolling through Twitter, which I'm trying to tell myself not to do, but you know, it's we've all been there. (laughs) And so somebody tweeted about Seds USA put out this really cool new thing called the Art of the Nozzle, a comprehensive guide to high power rocketry. And I thought it was a book you were going to have to buy, and I was gonna I was gonna buy it because I was like, oh, the illustrations look really good. (laughs) I would like to own this. It's for free online. Like, you can just download it. It's so cool. It just covers all the ba- basics of, essentially, rocketry. That's awesome. What was it called again? Um, It's called The Art of the Nozzle, A Comprehensive Guide to High Power Rocketry. And it's by SEDS USA, S-E-D-S, and the Hot Nozzle Society, which I always find humorous. Um, We will have a link to it in the show notes of this episode, but it is so cool. For those of you who don't know, SEDS is, uh, stands for Students for the Exploration and Development of Space. It's like a nonprofit organization run by students to promote space and study projects within space. Um, it's really cool. If you're interested in it, you could check it out at, um, in your college. They typically have a team that you could join. That's really cool. So if you're interested in rockets or if you, I don't know, are just a... <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. If you're interested in rockets. <laughs> Who isn't interested in rockets? Right. Right. I was like, I don't know. Is there another option? If you're interested in rockets or if you're maybe I majored in mechanical engineering. So I went into aerospace engineering and I had to catch up on a few things. It's it's doable. But I think this would be a really awesome way to just tip, dip your toes in the water of rocketry. Space Twitter um, is so- a dangerous place. You can get really sucked into all sorts of uh rabbit holes and interesting tangents it's you can easily i've spent far too long far too many hours of a day on there oh my god i know and then sometimes i have to get off of it because some of space (laughs) twitter is really awesome and encouraging and useful and then there's the other part of space twitter which is the antithesis of all Mm. of those things Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're like i don't like it here everybody's mean (laughs) and then i leave i know i know anyway hannah how was your weekend my weekend was good. I'm actually visiting my family. We celebrated the Vali, which is the Festival of Lights. And that was a lot of fun, you know, just getting together with my family and doing like traditional festivities and lighting a bunch of candles and putting up lights and um, yeah, just watching movies with the family. Uh, yeah, so it's been a very relaxing weekend. Nice. What'd you watch? I watched, okay, so there's this movie on Netflix called, I think it's Army of Thieves. It has this lock cracker. So you know those like insane uh, combination locks? 
It's like yes. there's this guy who loves cracking these locks, and these are like locks designed by this man hundreds of years ago. Um, and this is a fictional story. But this movie, I didn't realize, but the guy who is cracking these locks also exists as um, a lock decoder in another movie called, I think, Army of Dead, and it's a zombie movie. So they're both in the same universe. These movies exist in the same universe. But like in this movie that's specifically focused on cracking locks around the different cities, you can there'll be like uh, news flashes to how the world is being overtaken by zombies. And then this other movie that I watched, Army of Dead, is actually like the zombie takeover and um, the people are actually living in the zombie takeover. But the movie wow. I watched this weekend was only flashes into the zombie takeover. If that Fascinating. Makes sense. <laughs> I'm exhilarated. Yeah, I was just shocked because I had not looked up this movie as like, I had no idea it was part of a series. And I just came upon it. And, I was, and then I was surprised because I realized, oh, these are in the same universe. Interesting. Wow. That's weird. How exciting. <laughs> it was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that was my adrenaline rush of the weekend. <laughs> I brought my car to the shop. So that's far more interesting than what I did. <laughs> How about you, Adrian? Any uh, highlights of the weekend that you want to share? Uh, it was quite a it was quite a social weekend. Um, a friend had a birthday party on Friday that was a belated Halloween birthday party. So oh, I got cool. my second Fun. wind of Halloween. Yeah. What were you? It. I was like a fairy queen, which Ooh. was just a, quite a lazy costume because I had fake ivy at home, and so I made a an ivy crown, put some face makeup on, wore a dress, and then just. I don't know, cast spells on people all, all evening. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about working with clothes you own. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Anna and I, I had a couple costumes last week. A couple costumes last week. Um, how oh, about you, okay. Adrian? Uh, oh, sorry. And I was just going to Oh, I was you. just going to say we were a train. <laughs> <laughs> but some people put more effort into the train than others, as in Hannah put way more effort into the train than I did. <laughs> everyone told me to do this train costume and i was like what does this train mean (laughs) and then um yeah go ahead adrian sorry that's a really uh, that's a really interesting costume though like i always i think that i have exclusively gone for like fairies and goddesses and naturey things that work oh train wasn't on the top of your list sometimes sometimes pirates (laughs) but no i've never thought this year I'm going to be trained, and I love that. Um, no. I was really, really, really impressed by all the people on Space Twitter who were showing up as satellites. And Their trains. costumes wow. are so They're... good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Respect. All right, yeah. should we get into this thing? Mm. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump right in. All right, Adrian, can you tell us a bit about what your PhD is about, and what specifically does space anthropology mean? Can you break it down for our listeners? Of course. So I am part of a an interdisciplinary sorry I'm (laughs) I'm part of a multi-researcher multi-sited research project that is funded by the European Research Council for five years and so we are all anthropologists there's about eight to ten of us and we are all looking at the International Space Station from different anthropological perspectives 
So we have one person who's looking at Russian Orthodox Church and how it's related to Roscosmos. And we have one person who is working at ESA, uh, learning about how flight controllers uh, are trained and how that's related to um, the management of the Columbus module. And we have people who are looking at architecture and the body in space. And um, we have one PhD student who's just joined the project and he is doing his research on uh, the scavengers of the debris from rocket launches in Kazakhstan. So he's going around and like interviewing people and working with the communities who take debris from rocket launches and create new things with it. And it's just really, really cool. I, so my, my part of this constellation of anthropologists is that I'm specifically looking at the social media of the space station and broadly how space enthusiasm is practiced and spread and um, shared through social media and how that kind of can create new narratives about space travel and what it means to be human in space in the future and now uh, with the second space age. So it's wow. digital. Fascinating. And, yeah. <laughs> so space Twitter is literally your job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's, amazing. It's, it's part of my job, which is why I spend a lot of time on it. But I partly because of COVID, this this project was planned before COVID. So it was mm -hmm. kind of a, a <laughs> it, it felt very unfortunate to me that I had um, decided to do everything online after lockdowns have ended and uh, that we could meet in person. So I've started to incorporate elements of meeting people in person just because I don't want to be on my computer every single yeah. hour of the day. So are you only uh, focusing on how humans on Earth are impacted by social media, uh, you know, building the space narrative and promoting space through social media? Or do you also look at the effects of it on the astronauts? That is a really interesting question because someone actually looked at the uh, impact of social media use on astronauts. There was a researcher called Jack Suster who was commissioned by NASA to do this um, multi-year project where he had astronauts uh, keep diaries, confidential diaries of their time up there. And so they were, they would write a paragraph a day about how they were feeling and it was completely confidential. So they wrote lots and lots of things that they wouldn't have written um, if their names were attached to it. And so you do get, uh, he found out that there was some tension with using social media in, uh, in different crews and how it impacts social relations. So it is, but then some astronauts love using social media and you can see that really clearly. The ones who use it to engage with the public and, um, tell people about what it's like to live on the space station. All I can think of is Chris Hadfield. Yeah, no, he's definitely the one that I can think of first as well. But there have been there have astronauts uh, there have been astronauts who used Pinterest to make different boards about different aspects of life on the space uh, station. Oh, so, Hannah, that would be you. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah is our Pinterest friend. Yeah, I got Anna into Pinterest. <laughs> Anytime I want to do anything, she's like, "All right, well, we need to make a Pinterest board. I need to know the mood." <laughs> I invested in Pinterest stock, didn't do so hot, so oops. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, anyways. All right. Um, um, so I think 
It was only upon when I realized you're going to do this interview with you that I realized I don't fully actually understand what anthropology is, aside from on some level that it is the study of humanity. That is pretty much where everybody can agree on. So anthropology is the study of people and their cultures, and we practice generally a research method called ethnography. So that's the how the study of people in their environments. So we go to places, we live in the field with them, and we learn what life is like by participating and observing in that life as much as possible. And so you can get a much, it's much more long term. You don't generally just do interviews with people and then call it a day. You actually ideally live with the community that you're studying for a year or two years. And you can really get this rich, detailed knowledge of life from that perspective um, using you, you still interview people, but it's a lot more about participating and being involved as much as possible. So wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah, I, I really love it. It's it is you you come. There is a really interesting uh, dichotomy of the researcher as an outsider and then the people that they're researching but you end up being able to see it you see it from their perspective while also being able to maintain that your own culture and you can see things that they take for granted you know so many times an anthropologist will talk to people and be really interested in some aspect of their society or culture or social relations and they don't think twice about that they it's just a very natural part of someone's life but to mm. the anthropologist is able to to see it as something that's really unique and special, if that makes sense. You just gave this beautiful impassioned speech, and all I can think about is that uh, in Ted Lasso, a very quotable <laughs> line he says is to be curious, not judgmental. And I just that, think that, mm-hmm. you know, I just think I don't know. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like it encompasses your goal as an mm-hmm. anthropologist is to be curious a- and not judgmental. Absolutely. You know, anthropologists don't necessarily have to agree with the things that they're studying. There are anthropologists who've studied um, quite controversial topics, people who are breaking the law, people who have certain religious or um, social beliefs that don't in line with the researchers' beliefs. But you end up, if you come at it from this open perspective, this open mind, that you're not judgmental, you there is such a an undervalued uh it's such an undervalued thing to have an open mind and to try and see something from that community's perspective what brought you to anthropology i'm assuming your undergraduate degree must not have been in space anthropology but i guess i don't know it actually wasn't uh space anthropology is a relatively new part of my life um i started out i have i've had quite a a wonky journey through academia, which I But those I are the most love. interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> so I started out absolutely convinced that I wanted to study Latin and Greek, and I wanted to study ancient history. And so I studied Latin and Greek for two years, and then realized that I wanted to have skills and knowledge of the contemporary world. I wanted to help people in, in the present day. And so I switched to sustainable development, and I graduated from my undergraduate in Scotland in sustainable development. And so I was going to become an environmentalist and I worked in environmental nonprofits for a couple of years. And then I, I think that what I was 
the way that I came at anthropology is that I realized that what I loved about ancient history and what I loved about sustainable development was that these were both incredibly interdisciplinary fields. You can learn about history and politics and religion and um, language and cultural relations. And, and sustainable development was very, very interdisciplinary. We had economics and politics and um, sciences, <laughs> all of the sciences. And so we, so anthropology was such a, I think anthropology is where I was supposed to be the entire time because I love learning about different aspects of society and culture. Yeah, it's so awesome to see your passion about it <laughs> and how excited you are. That's wonderful, especially that you're getting a PhD. You know, that's a long road. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah. And so I, I basically I got um, into space anthropology after my master's in anthropology. And so I one of my courses was about architecture and about the built environment and how architecture impacts the way that we relate to other people. And the final week of the course, my teacher had thrown in his passion project, which was extraterrestrial anthropology or sorry, extraterrestrial architecture. So uh, the architecture of Martian habitats, for example, and the space station and how the architecture, the, the structure of that building is so vital for how the inhabitants are going to live and work and play in not only short duration, but also long duration, you know, settlement on the moon and on Mars. Um, and so I, light bulbs went off in my head. I was completely entranced by the idea that I could become a space anthropologist and study, study this as my career. And so I uh, found out that he was running this project uh, that I'm now a part of called Ethno ISS. And I harassed him over email uh, until he accepted me as a PhD student. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to be unrelenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Because professors are really busy and sometimes they just need a lot of reminders mm -hmm. that you're there and you're interested because they're always managing so many students. Mm -hmm. So pro tip, yes. if you want mm -hmm. to get involved in a lab, just send your emails pretty regularly. Like your professor likely just forgot about you because they have a hundred other emails. It's probably not because they don't like you. I'm pretty sure you're a fine student. <laughs> I can confirm that, that that is, I can confirm that that is how academia functions sometimes. Sometimes you just have to not back down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That is exactly. how you find success. Adrian, can you talk to us a little bit about, so you just used this word. You sent us a website before this interview. We'll link it in mm -hmm. our show notes that talks about your project, and it uses the word ethnography. Mm -hmm. Ethnography? Uh, I don't know <laughs> what one is correct. Ethnography. Ethnography is an anthropologist's core research method. And it is also the output of anthropology, generally speaking. So it's a bit confusing because it, we practice ethnography or ethnographic methods. And then you also produce an ethnography at the end of your research. It ends up being a systematic study and description of the aspect of a culture that you are studying. Wow. So I'm thinking of it as like a cartographer, like a cartographer creates a map. It is essentially a story about the people. In my case, my ethnography will be the story about how people relate to space 
through social technologies. And it can be broken down by the different social media platform that I'm using or broken down by the themes that arise in my research. It's very, very descriptive because you spend so much time with people, you get to know them, you you are present for different parts of their life. And so it becomes this very, very detailed narrative, the story. Yeah. That's incredible. That is incredible. Adrian, what does the base anthropology look like after the PhD? Like, what does the career there look like for you? And what does it look like for any other student graduating from a similar program? The field is still being very much developed. So there are quite a few social scientists who are currently looking at space, not only in anthropology, but also in sociology, political science, psychology. But for me personally, I am hoping to get a postdoc and continue doing research in space anthropology. I don't know if that will be on the moon, potentially. Or on Mars. Uh, that would be cool. <laughs> it would be very cool. I, I shouldn't have said on the moon because that really sets expectations. The number of people who have said, oh, you're an anthropologist. You study people in their habitat. When are you going up to the ISS? Breaks my heart. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I would love to go. It's being decommissioned. <laughs> we don't have the budget, alas. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's going, it's being decommissioned, isn't it? Uh, so, it's, yeah, I think 2024 20, or 25. Oh, wow. That's so soon. According to Space.com, it's 2024, which breaks my heart because that's in three years. I did not realize. It does keep getting extended. But Russia has, or Roscosmos has indicated that they will not continue and they'll branch off and do their own potential space station. There are commercial space stations that are already in development that NASA has signed off on or they're collaborating on in some format. So I think that we will see in the next 10 years a very interesting shift in habitation of low Earth orbit as we have different space stations. We already have the Chinese space station that went up this year. Yeah, and then there was one just announced, right? Like Blue Origin just announced Orbital Reef. Orbital Reef. Orbital Reef is the one I'm thinking about, yeah. <laughs> I struggle with that so much, I don't know why. Orbital Reef, it's Blue Origin and Sierra Space. They just announced that, I think. Maybe a week or two ago? Yeah, that's right. With Boeing as well, I think. Yes, I think you're right. This is part of why I am really excited about doing this project right now, because the ISS is a society that is under threat, in a way. It is being decommissioned in the entire space station will be burnt up in the atmosphere. And I personally find that really sad because I am in love with the ISS. And it is the oldest inhab continually inhabited space colony that we've had ever. You know, for 21 years, people have lived in space continuously without break. I know. It's just so cool. And it makes me sad to think one day it won't exist. It's like your old car you love so much, but you don't want to get rid of. But one day you just have to. Yeah. Yeah. But, so what was your undergrad degree in? My undergraduate degree was in sustainable development. Yes. It was interesting because you could either go the hard science way or you could go in a humanities way. It was a kind of an experimental degree. You could graduate either with a Bachelor of, of Science or you could graduate with an arts degree, depending on what your partner subject was. What inspired you to go into that in the first place? 
I wanted to do something to help the earth and I wanted to do something that would make an impact. I wanted to go into something that was like environmentalism, but sustainable development was the, the course specifically that I'm referring to, which was from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland was inter so interdisciplinary. You know, we had one week on ethics and one week on English and one week on chemistry and physics and maths. And so we learned little bits about all of these different subjects and how they related back to sustainability. And so you don't just come at it from an environmentalist, you can come at it from the perspective of what are the economic implications of this? What are the social implications of this? How do we bring harmony to all of these different elements of society in a way that is sustainable? From that, you can apply that to in the space industry. This program sounds so interesting because I have never heard of a degree in this. I've heard of environmental engineering, but again, it was called environmental sustainability. Mm -hmm. My my course is called sustainable development. Okay, I'm so you've said this so many times. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I am listening to you. I swear, that is so fascinating to me. How did you find this program? Well, I didn't initially. I went to the university with this idea of studying uh, one thing, which was classics. And then I heard about this program while I was there and I switched to it because it just seemed like such a good opportunity, such an interesting thing. And I have never liked being constrained to one subject, which I think part of the reason why I do love anthropology now. I could be doing the social media of the ISS this year. And then in five years, I could be working on a different aspect of anthropology that focuses more on infrastructure or economics or politics. There's so much contained within these worlds. We first said, I thought about going into classics. I was like, wow, what a 180 you made from that. <laughs> yeah. But actually, now that I think about it, it seems like they're kind of connected, right? Because classics is just about studying, I'm assuming it's Greek and Latin and the mm -hmm. major philosophers and the classical Greek. Mm -hmm. era and roman literature i'm sure is thrown in there somewhere absolutely clearly i'm an expert on this <laughs> <laughs> it's also about the different parts of society it's just that i went from studying ancient society to modern society and also future societies <laughs> at first you said that and i was like wow what a 180 and then i thought about it i was like actually you just you just are looking forward rather than back yeah absolutely that is interesting. Like that interest was always in you. It's just you're switching the time frame. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a child. I absolutely, that Same. was my plan. That was my plan. <laughs> and then I went to my high school physics class and dropped out after two weeks because I was really rubbish at it. Oh. I just didn't have the head for physics and I was so sad. This is my redemption arc. It turns out that you can be absolutely involved in the space industry as a social scientist. There's so many different avenues that are exciting and interesting and relevant and important to the future of the space industry and space exploration. And you can do that as a social scientist. And actually, that won't happen without social scientists. I wish I could like write this on a poster. <laughs> Hannah and I are both aerospace engineers, so we're kind of the stereotype of being involved in the space industry. But Mm -hmm. You do not have to be an aerospace engineer to be involved in the space industry at all. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to be in tech. Yes. Yep. To be involved in the space industry. There are so many things that are needed. All hands on deck. <laughs> yeah. Engineers are so important for getting people into space. 
and it would not happen if you just had dreamers and artists and writers and social scientists. But once we actually start planning what societies will look like in space, and you have these long duration missions, you need a psychologist to explore how people are going to communicate with each other and how they're going to fight in space and how they're going to love in space and how they're going to grow as a community. Oh, completely. There are two sides of the same coin that's necessary for these missions. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. We always talk about this. We, we've we had a few episodes on this, how space is an isolated, confined environment. You put mm-hmm. people in there and you put them locked up for a long duration of time, stuff will come out. Like, yeah. there will be fights. There will need to be, like, mediation. And I love what you said. People will have to learn how to fight and learn how to love. That is so important. We can't just do the physics problems and send people up to space. We have to build a whole Mm -hmm. society that's conducive for their daily life. Absolutely. It makes me think like if if you've ever lived with roommates, particularly if your roommates were good friends of yours, it doesn't matter how good of friends you were when you moved in together, you're gonna hit some patches. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Like someone will not be unloading the dishwasher or putting their stuff away or you will just be in close quarters with them and get annoyed. And those are people you know and like. Actually, I'm really glad that you brought that up because we had pretty extended lockdowns in the UK over last winter. And my flat, my apartment is tiny. And basically, I got through lockdown by pretending like I was on a space station. And (laughs) because we just don't have a lot of windows, it's lots of small, dark corridors. Uh, I have one flatmate. And so it did feel like we were in, uh, you know, an analog for a Mars habitat or uh, the space station. And you do, you absolutely, there were so many articles that came out when COVID first happened from astronauts who were coaching people on how to live in isolated environments. There's always been that experience of being isolated if you're up on the space station. And so they actually were able to offer their experience of living and um, coping with it. We were all just a HARO project. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. We did an episode on that. It's the Mars, I can't remember mm-hmm. what it stands for, H-E-R-A. It's another analog mission at NASA. I love analogs. There have been a couple of anthropologists who have done research with analogs, and I definitely want to incorporate it in some way in my research. It might be a bit tangential. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for an anthropologist, like an analog would be your jam, right? Because it's like a controlled experiment all about how people behave. Spot on. If I had started like a year later, I probably would have applied to do NASA's one-year analog mission that's been announced and then called that my research, my my fieldwork, because it's my fieldwork is roughly about a year and a half long. And so I could just spend that entire time in an analog and get very interesting data. That would be so cool. It would be really cool. But unfortunately, we have jobs and you have a PhD program. <laughs> Yeah, the time the timing's not quite right, but I definitely would like to do an analog before my my field work is up. I know, I think they're so cool. Hmm. Adrian, do you want to go ahead and plug yourself to our listeners? Is there anything you want them to check out that you've been working on? This is your moment. Absolutely. So I am, like I've mentioned multiple times before, in my field work period, and I am doing my research with space enthusiasts. I am Definitely looking for people who are willing to be interviewed by me for my research. And you can find me on Twitter at AnthroAdrian is my handle. And 
I don't know how you're going to spell that because it is a difficult spelling for my name, but that's A-N-T-H-R-O-A-D-R-Y-O-N. Nice. Please put that in the show notes. We will. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I live on Twitter. I breathe on space Twitter. That is kind of the central part of my research right now is talking to people, particularly people who are going to space launches and, you know, excited about the, the future of the space industry right now. And you can also check out my research projects website, which is called ethnoiss.space. Apparently .space is a domain. When we were trying to find the <laughs> URL for our website, we were trying to pick a domain name. We seriously thought whether we should do .com or .space. We were so bummed out because .space is so cool, but it's not popular enough yet. So we went with .com. It's, it's very funny to try and explain it to people because it is not a domain name that you see very often. But ethnoiss, that's our research project. We have all sorts of collaborations and things that we're doing. And if you're thinking about applying to UCL in the next couple of years, we're running an anthropology about our space course. So come and hear me teach. <laughs> I bet you give a fascinating lecture. Truly. Yeah, it's been just wonderful listening to you this whole time. <laughs> Thank you. It has. Oh, completely. This has been so interesting. I've learned so much. Me too. Anna, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yes. So you can find us, as already said, at butitisrocketscience.com, not .space.com. <laughs> uh, still cool, though. You can find our website if you want to learn more about Henna and I. We have merch. If you want to buy merch, we have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada. If you are outside of the U.S. or Canada, give us a holler and we can see what we can do for you. You can also find us on Twitter at ButItIsRS, and you can find us on Instagram at ButItIsRocketScience. We also do have a Patreon. However, times are really weird for everybody. Absolutely everybody. Times are weird. There is no pressure. If you're interested and you feel like it, we have a Patreon. It is ButItIsRocketScience. However, we're just happy you're here. So happy. Thanks for hanging out with us. All right. Shall we close it out? Until next time, Space Cadets. T minus three, two, one, liftoff. You nailed it. I was like counting in my head, like I can do this. I can do this.